there in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. And uh, keep your place there and go with me just real quickly to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Keep your place in 1 Samuel. We're going to come right back to it. But I want you to just quickly go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And uh, last week we started a series on the subject of separation. And I'm, I'm going to try to remind you a little bit about the subject of separation. If you did not hear last week's sermon, uh, I, I want to encourage you to go on our website. If you go on our website, veritybaptist.com, and you go to the tab for sermons or preaching, uh, I want to encourage you to listen to last week's sermon because it kind of lays a foundation for this series, and it gives a context about what we're talking about and why we're, we're preaching this. And if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, you may, you, you, you may not understand the context of what we're talking about in separation. If you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, last week we dealt with this passage extensively, and I'm not going to do that this morning, but I want to just bring your attention to the idea of separation. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible says this, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look down at verse 17. Notice what it says. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, the Bible is teaching here that because you cannot unite righteousness with unrighteousness, and you cannot unite light with darkness, and you cannot unite Christ with Belial, uh, because you cannot unite that which is holy with unholy, he says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. God commands for his people to be a holy people. And in order to maintain holiness, he says, we're we're, we're in this world, but we don't have to be of this world, and he tells us to come out. Now, I want you to notice in verse number 15, and uh, if, you, if you read verse 15 again with me, it says, and what conquered, the word conquered means what agreement, what harmony, how do these uh, two things go together? He says, and what conquered hath Christ with Belial? Now, if, if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, if you don't mind writing your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, Christ with Belial, Christ with Belial. Now, Belial was a, a, an Old Testament idol, but he wasn't like any other idol. This idol actually took on the form of representing Satan himself, representing the devil himself. If you remember in the Gospels, Jesus would be accused of casting out devils, not by the Holy Spirit, but by Beelzebub, just a different name for the same God. And it's referring to Satan. When you ever see a name Belial, Belial, Beelzebub, Bel, all those things are actually talking about Satan himself. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, what conquered hath Christ with Belial. Mark that word Belial there. I want you to remember that word and go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and look at verse number 10. 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and verse 10. Now in 1 Samuel 1, we have a famous story of Hannah. Remember Hannah? She gave birth to Samuel, the prophet. We studied all about the life of Samuel not too long ago in our 1 Samuel series. We moved on to Saul and David now. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10, the Bible says this, And she, Hannah, was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. If you remember, Hannah was not able to have children. 
and God had given children to the other wife that her husband had, and it was causing all these frictions and all these problems. And of course, you got two wives, you're going to have issues. You know, that's, that the Bible never taught that anybody should have uh, more than one wife. But here you have Hannah, and the Bible tells us she's in bitterness of soul. She prayed unto the Lord and wept sore, verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of thy life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli, now Eli is a high priest, and Eli marked her mouth, meaning he, he saw her mouth moving. Look at verse 13. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved. So she's praying, but she's not speaking. She's speaking in her heart. She's speaking in her mind. Her lips are moving, though. But the Bible says in verse 13, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been, and I want you to make note of this word, drunken. Do you see that? So Eli is the priest, the high priest. He's kind of sitting there watching things. Hannah shows up. She's, the Bible says, in bitterness of soul. She wept sore. She's praying. She's not speaking. She's, she's an emotional mess. I mean, she's just upset. She's crying out to God. She wants a child. She's, she's praying in her heart. Her lips are moving. And, and Eli looks at this woman and he, you know, he thinks that she's drunk. Now, she's not drunk, all right? And Eli is, is incorrect, but he assumes that she's drunk. Look at verse 14. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Now, notice what he says. He says, put away thy wine from thee. Here's what he's saying. Separate yourself from wine. He said, separate yourself from alcohol. He said, you know, how long wilt thou be drunk and put away thine wine from thee? Verse 15. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She said, I, I'm not drunk. She said, I, I'm, I'm a, a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I'm just praying to God. I, I'm just going through a lot. But I want you to key in on verse number 16. Notice what she said. Because Eli says to her, he says, hey, put away the wine from you. He said, why are you drunk? Put away the wine from you. And then, and then Hannah says this in verse 16, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 16. Notice what she says. She says, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. Do you see that? Now, here's what I want you to understand. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul told us, hey, what conquered hath Christ with Belial? He said, you can't unite Christ with the devil, with Satan. And in the Bible, you need to understand that in the Bible, there is an association between being drunk and drinking alcohol and Belial and Belial. I'll show you later in the sermon, uh, but in the Bible, often wine and alcohol is referred to as something that devils produce, as something that Satan produce. And here in verse 16, she says, Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. Here's what she's saying. She's saying, she's saying daughters of Satan... She's saying daughters of, uh, of the devil. Those are the daughters. Those are the women. Those are the men that, that get drunk. She said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on the side of Satan. I'm not drunk. She says, I'm just praying. I'm just of a sorrowful spirit. She says, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. Part of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. I want to speak to you this morning as we are continuing this idea of separation, being separated from the world. Last week, we ended the sermon with a question. You know, if you were on trial for being a Christian, what evidence would there be to convict you? 
Would there be any evidence? What, what is different between you and everyone else in this world? What is different between you and everyone you work with? Every, every, every worldly person you know. Because the sad part is, for most Christians, other than going to church on a Sunday morning, there is no difference. There's not much difference. But here, Hannah would say, hey, I'm not a daughter of Belial. She said, what conquered, she, you know, she would say if she was alive today, what conquered hath Christ with, with Belial? What conquered hath Christ with Belial? She said, I'm not drunk and Eli even is saying to her, hey, put away thy drunkenness. I want, I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of alcohol and separation from alcohol. And we're going to go through and study this idea in the Bible. Let me, let me go ahead and say this. I'm going to be dealing primarily with the issue of alcohol, but this applies to, to drug use. This applies to prescription drug abuse. I mean, this applies to all of that. But let me, let me say a couple of things before we get started. And go with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 23 in your Bible. But let me say this. I realize that this is not a popular subject today. In fact, my, my wife and I were talking about this this morning. The last time I preached on the subject of alcohol on a Sunday morning, we lost a family. And they, it was actually kind of sad because it was a lady that my wife had knocked on her door and got her saved, and, and because of my wife following up with her, she had came to church, and she brought her, her family with her, and, and it was like my wife's convert, you know, and they'd been coming for several months, and they were, first started coming Sunday mornings, and they actually started coming some of the evening services, and when I preached on the subject of alcohol, it just freaked them out. They were just like, I can't believe anybody would ever say anything against alcohol, you know, and they just ran off. I mean, they were just scared. I remember oh, there was another lady, uh, one of my converts, a lady I knocked on her door. She was coming for several weeks, and then I preached against TV, and she's like, Pastor, man, I can't go back to your church. Like, that just freaked me out, you know. And, you know, and here's the thing. If speaking against alcohol just freaks you out, you probably don't belong here anyway. You know, if, I mean, because if, if, we're going to look at the Bible. But, you know, let, let me read for you this. In, in the book of Matthew, they said this about Jesus. In Matthew twenty two sixteen, they said, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in true. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. And that's my goal, to be a preacher like the Lord Jesus Christ, where people would say, neither carest thou for any man, nor regardest the person of men. And that's not saying that Jesus didn't care about people, and we care about people here. But listen to me, we care more about the truth and what the Bible says and the the word of God, then we care about keeping people. Because we're not trying to build a big church. We're trying to build a church filled with people that live separated, holy lives that honor God. So if you're here this morning and you'd say, I've never heard anybody say anything against alcohol, you know, I want to just encourage you, keep an open mind. Look at what the Bible says. And you've got to ask yourself this question when you study the Bible. Because a lot of times you go to a church like this one where we actually look at scriptures. And we're going to look at a lot of Bible this morning. We're going to look at the Bible in heavy doses. But you've got to ask yourself this question. Because people often just decide, I'm against that. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. But ask yourself this question. Does it matter what the Bible says? I mean, does it even matter? Because here's the answer for most Christians. No. The answer for most Christians is, I want to go to church. I want to be patted on the back. I want to get a feel-good sermon. And I want to leave feeling like I'm right with God. It doesn't matter if I'm a drunk. It doesn't matter if I'm right with God. It doesn't matter if I'm living any different than anybody else. I just want the pastor to make me feel good. But look, if that's your attitude, you're in the wrong church. Because you've got to ask yourself this question, does it matter what the Bible says? So let's look at what the Bible says. Go to Proverbs 23 and look at verse number 29. Proverbs 23. For those of you who like to take notes, let me give you point number one. Point number one, it says, God forbids the drinking of alcohol. God forbids the drinking of alcohol for anyone and everyone. Now that might be new to you. You might say, I've never heard that before. Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 23, look at verse 29. If you're there in 1 Samuel, if you go past 1 and 2 Samuel... 
First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning because some of you aren't coming back. So I just got to unload the whole truck right now while I've got you here. All right. Proverbs 23. Look at verse 29. Look, look notice what the Bible says. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look at verse 31. Look not thou. Now that's a command. He's not saying, you know, he's not giving you a suggestion here. He's telling you, look not thou upon the wine. Now notice what he says. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth this color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Now, for the Christians to say, I don't believe God forbids drinking alcohol for anybody, I think it's just saying, you know, that you shouldn't, you should do it in, you know, moderation, or I just, I, I don't think God's against. You got to ask yourself this question. What do you do with Proverbs 23, 31, when he tells you, look not thou upon the wine? Now, listen to me. He's not saying to not look at any wine. He's telling you to not look at a specific wine. What wine is it? Look at it. Look not thou upon the wine when. Do you see that word when? That's telling us there's a difference between this wine and other wines. He's saying, here's what I don't want you to look at the wine. When it is red, when it giveth this color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. What is all that referring to? It's referring to the, the idea of fermentation. When he says, when it is red... You know, it is, it's the, the yeast that ferment alcohol. Usually that's found on the skin of the grape in this case here. And that's what gives it the color red. So he's referring to that. He says, when it is red, when it giveth this color in the cup. Notice this, when it moveth itself aright. Referring to the fact that carbon dioxide is released when there's fermentation and it begins to, to bubble and it begins to move itself. And God is telling us here, hey, I don't want you to look at a wine. And we would ask this question, well, what wine? And he said, the wine that's fermented. He said, I don't want you, I mean, look at verse 31. And those of you have already decided before the sermon even started, I think it's fine for Christians to drink alcohol. What do you do? Does Proverbs 23, 31 even matter? I mean, what do you do with that verse? Look not thou upon the wine. What wine? Well, this wine, when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. God is telling us to, to, to not look at fermented wine, to not take part of fermented wine. Now, here's what you got to understand. He's not saying all wine. He's just saying the wine that moveth itself aright, the wine that giveth its color in the cup, the wine that is fermented. This lets us know, and, this, and, we, and you get this idea, that there is a wine you are allowed to look at. And here's what you got to understand, and here's where most Christians don't understand the Bible, all right? You're there in the book of Proverbs. Go with me to the book of Song of Solomon. I know this is a review for a lot of you, but we got to lay the foundation for those of you that have not heard it. Proverbs, if you go past the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find the book of Song of Solomon. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon chapter 8. Here's what you got to understand in the Bible. In the Bible, wine is not always referring to alcohol. In the Bible, wine is not always a reference to alcohol. See, in the Bible, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, there was one word that was used for both alcohol and what you and I would call today juice. Even when our King James Bible was translated in 1611, 400 years ago, the word juice was not a commonly used word. And the translators, in order to be, have integrity to their translation, realizing that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the same word was used for both alcohol and juice, just kept a word that meant both things 400 years ago in 1611. The word wine was commonly used for both alcohol and juice, so they just translated it that way. Now today in our society, when we talk about wine, we're usually talking about an alcoholic beverage. 
You know, we, you don't usually call Welch's grape juice. You don't call it Welch's grape wine. But you've got to understand, when our Bible was translated, the word wine could go both ways. And let me prove it to you. Are you there in Song of Solomon, chapter number 8? Look at verse number 2. Song of Solomon, chapter number 8, and verse number 2. Notice what the Bible says. I would lead thee. This is, this is uh, the Shunammite speaking to her husband. And she says, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee, notice, to drink of the spiced wine. You see that? Of the juice, this is the only time the word juice was used in the Bible, because it was not a common word in 1611, to drink of the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Now, here's what you guys are He's using these words interchangeably, wine and juice. And God does this throughout the Bible. Let me, let me give you an example, because the Bible is not only a doctrinal book and a historical book and a holy book, obviously, but the Bible is also just a beautiful book. It's written in a beautiful language. I mean, it, 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 it was written during the same era of, you know, Shakespeare and all these things. And, and it's written to, to sound nicely. And oftentimes in the Bible, when God is te- speaking about the same thing in, in maybe the same sentence, he'll use different words instead of just being repetitive because he wants the Bible to sound nicely. Let me give you an example. You don't have to turn there. But Hebrews 1.1 says this, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake... And in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, the word sundry in that verse means various kinds or several. The word diverse in that verse means varying types or several. Or several. It's basically two different words for the same thing. It's, you know, it's a, it, they're synonyms. Now, here's the thing. God could have said, God, who at sundry times and in, uh, and in sundry manners spake in time past. Or he could have said, God, who at diverse times and in diverse manners spake in time past. But that would, have, that would have sound like, God, you're repeating yourself. You know, sometimes I'll have my wife proofread things for me, and she'll say, like, hey, you're using this word a lot, you know, because I don't have a very big vocabulary. So she'll, like, cross out a word and say, use this word. It'll sound nicer. And, and that's what God does. He says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners. Those words mean the same thing, but he's using them just so it sounds nicely. That's what's happening in Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 2. And he's also defining the word for us. He says, she says, I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine of the juice. Notice, of my pomegranate. She's talking about the same thing. The wine and the juice are the same thing. But she's using the terms interchangeably. Because in the Bible, not every time that the word wine is used is it talking about alcohol. Sometimes it's talking about juice. Let me give you another example. Go to Isaiah 65 and verse number 8. Isaiah 65 and verse number 8. Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Notice what Isaiah says. Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Notice what he says. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine. You see that word wine? As the new wine is found in the, note this word, cluster. You see that? And one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So here's, Isaiah said this. The new wine is found in the cluster. Now what's a cluster? A cluster of grapes is grapes all clustered together. They're all connected together. How are they connected? Through the vine, right? They grow off the vine, and they has, the vine has little branches, and then the fruit grows on that branch. If you take a cluster of grapes, they're still connected to the wine. Let me ask you a question. If I was referring to the juice inside of a grape that's still connected to the vine, still in a cluster, is that fermented juice? No. It's not fermented. It's still, because fermented means it's gone bad. 
Fermented means it's become poison. It's still connected to the vine. It's still connected to the life. It's still within that cluster. It hasn't gone through the process of fermentation yet because it has to be crushed and destroyed. You need the skin and the yeast uh, to allow it to ferment. If it's in the cluster, it's not alcohol yet. But notice Isaiah called it wine. Notice what he says, Isaiah 65, 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. So though, there are two specific proofs, and there's different passages you could look at, but those are two clear passages that show that in the Bible, the word wine is used sometimes to refer to alcohol, absolutely. And sometimes, though, it's referring to the wine, the juice found in a grape still in the cluster. Sometimes it's used as a word, and even in Song of Solomon, she would call it wine and juice in the same breath. So you've got to understand this. Not every time in the Bible is wine a reference to alcohol. Because let me go ahead and answer your question. Because oftentimes I'll preach on this, or I'll mention something about alcohol, and somebody will walk up to me, and I'm not tra- if this comes off arrogant, I apologize. I'm not trying to sound rude. But somebody will walk up to me and say, well, didn't Jesus turn water? into wine? And I think to myself, like, you know, you know I, I'm a pastor of a church. I, I, I advocate people read nine chapters a day every day in the month of January, but no, I never read the story of Jesus turning water into wine. You got me. Let me change my whole stand on everything. In fact, let me go buy you a beer. I mean, I don't really understand what people expect. Of course I know Jesus turned water into wine, but here's what you may not know, that not every time the word wine in the Bible is used, it's referring to alcohol. Let's go to the story. John, chapter number two. John chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. John chapter number 2, verse 1. And that's, that's the drunkard's favorite verse. That's their life verse. Jesus turning water into wine. But let's look at it. John chapter 2, verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. New Testament. John chapter 2, verse 1. John 2, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Here's a good verse for those of you who like to worship Mary. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour's not yet come. Look, Mary wasn't bossing Jesus around when he was alive. And the Catholics tell us, Oh, you just tell Mary, you pray to Mary, she'll get Jesus to do. She couldn't get him to do what she wanted on earth. He said, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. Notice verse 5. His mother says unto his, the servants, and here's the proper place for Mary and every single one of us, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And that's the attitude we ought to have. And that's the attitude you ought to have with this sermon. The Bible is the word of God. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Notice verse 6. And there was set there uh, six water pots f- uh, of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. All right, so there's six water pots. They filled them up to the brim. They filled these water pots made out of stone with water. He fills them up, verse 8, and he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servant which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Now here's what, here's what I want you to think. Let's just think logically, all right? Because there's not a Christian on earth that I know of. <laughs> there, there probably is, I'm sure. 
But there, by and large, most people, even the Christians who advocate that drinking alcohol is fine, there's no one who would say that God is okay with anybody getting drunk. I mean, that's what they all say. They say, you can't, you know, you, you, you can drink alcohol, but God just doesn't want you to get drunk. And then they go to this story to try to prove that. But here's what's interesting. There's a party going on, and they've already drank all the wine. And then Jesus, we're supposed to believe Jesus comes along and brings six kegs with him. And just says, I know you already drank everything that they already set aside for this party, but here you go. That would, I mean, that would be him getting them drunk. That would be a sin. There's absolutely no way that the wine that Jesus turned into water was alcohol, number one, because the Bible says, look not thou upon the wine when it is fermented, and that would be a sin for him to do that. But number two, even if it was alcohol, it'd be a sin for him to go to a group of men that have already drank all the wine they had for a party and said, here, here's six more cakes, and basically getting them drunk. So either way you look at it, that is a non-issue. There's absolutely no way Jesus turned water into wine. And we already saw in the Bible that God often uses the word wine as a synonym for juice. In the Bible, not every time the Bible uses the word uh, wine is it a reference to juice. And you've you got to understand, you know, uh, in, in the Bible, the word juice only appears one time. Okay, so you can't tell me that every time the word wine appears in Scripture, it is a reference to, to alcohol. So point number one is this. God definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, forbids drinking alcohol for everyone. He says, do not look at the wine. He says, stay away from the wine. What wine, God? When it is fermented, when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it turneth itself aright. And, and we saw very clearly in Scripture that not every reference to the, to the word wine in the Bible is alcohol. So point number one is this. God forbids the drinking of alcohol for everyone. But some of you are still not convinced. I know. I've been doing this for a long time. So let me give you point number two. You may say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I believe that. I think that wine is still alcohol in the Bible. Point number two is this. You may not agree that God forbids alcohol for everyone, but I'll tell you this. God definitely forbids of drinking of alcohol for Christians. If you are saved, if you're a believer, if you would say, call, identify yourself as a Christian, God forbids drinking of alcohol for you. You say, prove it. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter number 1. It should be fairly easy to find. Last book in the New Testament, Revelation 1. I told you last week, if you guys want a reason to, to quit, you're going to get it. And if you look around, you know, our, this building's pretty full, and we still have it a year left in this lease, so sometimes I just kind of have to preach sermons to make, make room, you know, because we just need a little, little bit of more room. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse number 5. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse number 5. Revelation 1, 5, are you there? Notice what the Bible says. Should be easy to find. Last book, New Testament, first chapter, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I hope you're there. I hope you can say that's me. I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I've been born again. I'm a believer. I am on my way to heaven. Not because of my own righteousness, but because my sins have been washed by the blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, if you're there, verse 6 applies to you. Notice what it says. And hath made us. When you got washed in the blood of, the, uh, of Jesus, you were made something. Notice what you were made. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, we, don't, we're, we're, we are New Testament believers. 
In the Old Testament, you have to be born into a certain family to be a king. You have to be born into a certain family to be a priest. In the Old Testament, not everybody could be a king. Not everybody could be a priest. In the New Testament, you have to be born into a certain family to be a king and a priest. But it's not the the, the family of Judah. It's not the family of Levi. It's the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you got born again, you were born into a family where you were made king. And you were made a priest. And I was made a king and I was made a priest in Jesus Christ. That's why we believe in the priesthood of the believer. I don't have to go to a priest to have my sins atoned. I am a priest. I can go directly to the Lord through my high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and has made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can you make your way back to the book of Proverbs? Now, here's the problem with that. Proverbs 31. The Bible says that you've been made a king. The Bible says that you've been made a priest. And what's interesting about that is that God specifically forbids alcohol for kings and priests. Let's look at it. Proverbs 31. Look at verse 1. Proverbs 31, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 31 and verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vow, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. He's about to explain, she's about to explain to her son, the king, what destroys a king? Notice verse 4. It is not. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. And by the way, uh, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, how can you tell the difference in the Bible if it's referring to wine like alcohol or wine as juice? Well, you tell by the context. And oftentimes in the Bible, when it's talking about alcohol, he'll use this word uh, alongside with it. He'll call it strong drink. So that's kind of a cue uh, for you to look at. Not every time, but a lot of times he does that in the context. If he's telling you someone's drinking wine and they're vomiting and they're stumbling, okay, that's not talking about Welch's grape juice, all right? But look at verse 14. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, verse 5, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment and any of the afflicted. Give, notice what he said. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And, and Christians will say, well, see, she's saying to give strong drink to them that are ready to perish. But here's what you understand. Number one, she's being sarcastic. Okay? She's, she's making a point. She's saying, it's not for you, son. It's not for kings. It's not for princes. She says, give strong drink unto them that are ready to perish. But here's the thing. When you got washed in the blood of the Lamb, guess what? You became a king. And not only that, doesn't the most famous verse in the Bible say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, isn't that what you did when you got saved? That whosoever believeth in Him should not what? Should not perish. Now notice what she says. She says, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. Are you ready to perish if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Are you a king if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. What does that tell us? Even if you say, I don't think that God forbids alcohol for everyone, you cannot get away with this. God forbids alcohol for you if you're a believer. If you're saved, if you've been washed in the blood, if you're a king, if you are not going to perish, she says, hey, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. She says, it's not for you. It's not, she says, you're better than that. Look at verse 7. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. I remember when I was in the, in the Air Force. Go, go to the book of Leviticus. Towards the, end of the, towards the beginning of the Bible, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. When I was in, in the Air Force, I was at uh, Shepherd Air Force Base doing my, my training for my job, and I was there for about six months. And 
we were in a class, had a, a classroom that went, we went through training with. I remember one, one day we were kind of sitting there before class. I think the instructor was late or whatever. And they were, the guys were talking about the fact that they were going to go, you know, it was like Friday or something, they were going to go to the bar afterwards. And they invited me and I said, no, I don't, I don't drink. And they knew that I was a Christian, you know, from before. I'd already kind of witnessed a lot of them. And they kind of started poking fun at me and, and ma- making fun and saying, like, oh, you, what, you think you're better than us? You, you think, you know, you can't drink with us? You think you're better than us? You know, the truth of the matter is, the answer to that question is yes. I am better than you. Because I've been made a king in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been made a priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, give wine unto them that are ready to perish. Give wine unto those men that have to forget their poverty, that have to forget their misery, that have to forget that their lives are so lame and so boring and and, and so hopeless that they need to drink away their lives because they don't want... Look, I have hope in Jesus Christ. I've been given the gift of eternal life. I am better than that. And so are you. And so are my kids. And so are your kids. We're better than that. You say, well, I don't know that I agree that alcohol is forbidden to everyone. But you've got to agree that alcohol is forbidden to priests. You've got to agree that alcohol is forbidden to kings. And if you're saved, you've been made a king and a priest unto God and his father. Are you there in Leviticus chapter 10? Let's look at the priest reference. Leviticus chapter 10. Look at verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, that's the priest, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink. Thou nor thy sons with thee when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation. And here's how serious God is about it, lest you die. Here's what God said to Aaron. You're a priest. If you drink alcohol and you try to serve me, drinking alcohol, I'm going to kill you. He said, lest you die, it shall be a statue forever throughout your generation. So number one, we see God forbids the drinking of alcohol for everyone. Why is that? Because he says, look not thou upon the wine when it's fermented. And you say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Not all wine in the Bible is alcohol. We prove that from the scriptures. But number two, even if you don't agree with that, God definitely forbids the drinking of alcohol for kings and priests and says it's not for kings, it's not for priests, it's them for already to perish. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt not perish, but have everlasting life. Number three, for those of you that are still not convinced, let's go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number five. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 18. This is something everybody agrees with. I mean, the, the most liberal, Joel Osteen, Rick Warren, even those guys will agree with this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible specifically forbids being drunk with wine. And everybody would agree with that. Even Christians would say, oh, I like to have a glass of wine with my dinner or whatever. They would say, but God is, not against, God is against Christians getting drunk. You know, they, they'll say, he's not against them drinking, but he's against them getting drunk. Do we all agree with that? I mean, is that pretty clear? Be not drunk with wine. That's a command. He says, and be not drunk with wine. You're there in the book of Ephesians? Go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 13. If you go backwards, you go past the book of Galatians, past 2nd and 1st Corinthians, into the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 13. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 13. Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 13. Romans 13, 13. Notice what he says. Are you there yet? Ephesians, Galatians, 2nd and 1st Corinthians, if you're moving backwards into the book of Romans. Romans 13, 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. You see that? Drunkenness. Not in chamberling and wantonness. Not in strife and envying. 
Verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice, notice what he says. He says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not, you see that? Make not provision for the flesh. Now the word provision means to provide for or to create an opportunity for. Here's what he's saying. I don't want you to be drunk. And then in the next verse he says, so don't even make an opportunity to get there. Don't even create the provision to get there to fulfill the lust thereof. And here's what I know. I don't drink alcohol. We don't, my wife and I, we don't drink alcohol at all. We don't agree with that. But here's what I do know. Every person, and if you want to tell me otherwise, you come talk to me after the service, and I will go, you know, I will get a group of believers and a King James Bible, and you can put your hand on the Bible and, and tell me that this is true. Every single person who says, I don't get drunk, I just drink in moderation. Every single person has ever drank any amount of alcohol and says, I'm not a drunk, I just drink socially. Every single one has been drunk at some point. Period. It's true. There's not one person anywhere who says, oh, no, I don't get drunk. Here's what they say. I don't get drunk. But then if you ask them, have you ever been drunk? Well, yeah, I mean, there was that one time. Well, guess what you did? You made provision for the flesh. Because you know how you can guarantee never getting drunk? Is never drinking alcohol. You know how you can guarantee, young ladies, never getting pregnant? Is abstaining from physical relationship. And to think that like, oh, I'm just going to drink one glass. But here's the problem. The first thing that goes the first time you drink is your good judgment. And you think, I can drink one more. And I can drink one more. And listen to me. You get every drunk started off a social drinker. No one gets up one day and says, whoa, I've never drank alcohol before, but I am a full-blown drunk now. I mean, I put, I put alcohol in my coffee in the morning. I drink all day long. I mean, no one starts that way. They all start right here. I'm just drinking with friends on Friday. But then waking, drinking with friends on Friday turns into drinking with friends on Saturday and on Sunday. And then you're drinking on Thursday too. And then you're drinking in the morning also. And you're making provision for the flesh. So here's the thing. If you agree that you should never get drunk, which virtually every Christian does, then you should agree with this. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't make an opportunity for the flesh. As soon as you take that first drink, you just created an opportunity for the flesh. So what did we see this morning? Number one, God forbids drinking of alcohol for anyone. Number two, God definitely forbids the drinking of alcohol for Christians. Number three, God forbids anybody getting drunk, so don't make provision for the flesh. Say, well, Pastor Menace, what's the application for this morning? Because I know some of you are going to be mad and upset, and you're going to leave, and you're never going to come back. And that's okay. Honestly. I'm not mad at you. But here, here's the point. You said, why do you preach this sermon? I'm, I'm preaching this sermon more for the kids and the adults. Because here's what I know. Some of you adults are going to agree with it already, and some of you are just not. Some of you are actually open in your hearts enough to say, wow, I never knew that the Bible said that. That's the first time I've ever heard that. And you actually love God, so you're going to say, I'm going to change my position on that. But some of you are never going to change, and that's okay. But if I can just keep a child from ever, from just deciding, if I could just keep a young person, a teenager, to get to the place where they decide, I'm never going to touch alcohol ever in my life. That's my goal, and that's the application. You say, what do you do? Hey, if you're a child, listen to me, kids. Don't ever drink alcohol, ever. Stay away from it. Never touch it. Never, never be around people that are drinking alcohol. It's bad. But let me say this. If you are a so-called social drinker that has never been drunk except for that one time last week and except for that one time three weeks ago and except for that one time in Vegas, but, you know, I never get drunk. If, you, if that's you, then why don't you just decide today, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to quit. I'm going I'm to abstain from alcohol. I will look not thou upon the wine. But let me say this. 
If you're here this morning and you are an alcoholic, or what the Bible calls a drunkard, if you have a problem with alcohol, hey, I want to encourage you. I'm not here to judge you or make you feel bad. I want to help you. Why don't you talk to me and let's get you some help? And, and here's the problem with, with drunks. They don't know that they're a drunk. Most of them. They're in denial. So let me give you some cues. You may be a drunk if you drink every day. You may be a drunk if you don't feel well without having alcohol in your system. You may be a drunk if you drink in the morning. You may be a drunk if you drive while drinking. You may be a drunk if anyone has ever walked up to you and said you have a problem with drinking. And here's why. Because that person, your wife or your husband or your mom or your neighbor or your friend had been thinking about saying that, had been nervous about saying that, had been debating, should I say that? And it took them so much courage to well up, to walk up to you and say, I think you have a problem. And the fact that anyone would ever look at you and say, I think you may have a problem with drinking, means you have a big problem with drinking because they did not want to say that to you. So you need help. You need to get help. Because God is against drinking. Now, let me, let me kind of end the sermon, and that's kind of misleading because we're not even close to being done. But go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20. Remember, some of you guys aren't coming back, so I just got to give it all to you right now. Proverbs chapter 20. But I want to end the sermon by just showing you how the Bible portrays alcohol. Because, see, the way the world portrays alcohol is different than how the Bible portrays alcohol. Here's how the world portrays alcohol. Here's how the billboard and the Budweiser commercial portrays alcohol. Everyone's young. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's a bodybuilder. Everybody, you know, everybody looks good. The house is clean. Everything's nice. They're all having a good time. That's how the world portrays alcohol. But listen to me. That's fantasy land. Okay, that guy with those, you know, with, with, with the big, you know, he's got a big chest and he's got the packs and he's got a six pack. That guy never drinks alcohol because you can't look that way and being a drunk. Here's how people that are drunk look like. They have a, 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 beer, gut, a beer gut. They smell like urine. They vomit on themselves. Go to a bar. They're dark. They're nasty. They're ugly. That's, and here's what's interesting. That's how God portrays alcohol. You can see the world gives you a different view of alcohol than what's actual truth. And I want kids to know, let me show you how God portrays alcohol. You're there in the book of Proverbs. Go back to Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 20. If you have a child in the service, you ought to help them. You ought to open up a Bible in front of them. Just get them to these references right now. Help them see these references. Proverbs chapter 20. And you say, I don't think you should be preaching this in front of your kids. Then I'm preaching it for my kids. Because I don't want my kids to ever touch alcohol. I teach my children that alcohol is wicked and evil and wrong. Proverbs 20, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Wine is a mocker, and that's what it does. It mocks at you. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You are not smart if you drink alcohol. I can't believe you said that. That's what God said. I just read the verse. He said, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Can you go back to Proverbs 23, where we started? Proverbs 23, look at verse number 29. Proverbs 23, look at verse 29. We, I kind of just read this, and we focused on verse 31, but let's look at the rest of the passage. Proverbs 23, Verse 29, notice what he says. Who hath woe? The word woe in the, in the Bible means great sorrow. Who hath woe? Who hath great sorrow? Who hath sorrow? Talking about, again, woe, being in distress. Who hath contentions? That's talking about fighting and argument and strife. Who hath babblings? That's meaningless vocal sounds. Non-coherent. 
Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes, listen, thine eyes shall behold strange women. That's what the Bible says will happen when you drink alcohol. Men, you're married to your wife. You say you love your wife, but you get drunk. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. That's what the Bible says. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? Here's a drunk. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Wake up in the morning, first thing I got to do is get some booze. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 19. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Isaiah, Isaiah 19. Look at verse number 14. I'm just, I'm just asking, I'm just saying, how, how, what does God think about alcohol? How does God describe alcohol? How, what, what does God say? Because we've got to get the view that God, how God sees it. Okay? Isaiah 19, look at verse number 14. Isaiah 19, verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 19, 14. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof. Notice what he says. He's going to use an illustration. He's, he's talking about how God is kind of fighting against them and messing them up. And he says, it's like this. He says, as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. I mean, get a, get a picture of that. As a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. That's what God thinks. That's how God portrays. That's a little different than the Budweiser ad. That's a little different than, you know, the, 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 the alcohol. That's a different view than the, I just have a glass of wine with my dinner. Here's what God thinks as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. Go to Isaiah 28, look at verse 7. Isaiah 28, look at verse 7. Isaiah 28, 7. You're there in Isaiah 19. Just flip a few pages over. Isaiah 28, 7. Notice what the Bible says. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink. Notice how strong drink comes up a lot. And through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. It's sad when so-called pastors and supposedly spiritual leaders are advocating that people drink. And here God is referring to that. He said, the priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. That, that's how God describes alcohol. Whom shall, and you say, I don't think you should be saying this in front of my kid. Look at verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Now, here's, let me help you out with Bible study, okay? You study it within its context, all right? Here's what context means. The things that are said before or after something have to do with that thing which is said. So in verse 8, he says, the tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so there is no place for them. And then in verse 9, he says, who shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? He said, who am I going to teach these things? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. He says, take the smallest child and teach them that when someone gets drunk, they're full of vomit and filthiness and no place is clean. Amen. That's what I, I'm trying to brainwash your kids to just stay away from alcohol. Amen. I'm trying to brainwash my kids to just know, look, here's what the beer ad shows. It shows young people, healthy, strong, the house is clean, they're having a good time. Here's what they don't show you that I unfortunately have to see as a pastor. What they don't show you is the wife with a black eye because her husband came home drunk. What they don't show you is the child that gets beat because their dad is a derelict. What they don't show you is the vomit. What they don't show you is the adultery. What they don't show you is filthy. Listen, kids, it's not cool. 
All right? You know what's great? Hanging out with God's people. You know what's great? You know, running and, and exercising and being healthy. You know what's not great? Hanging out in a bar that smells like piss and people are in there, you know, trying to just forget their misery. They're old. They're, you know, they're not filled with the Spirit. Their lives are miserable. It's filthy. It's disgusting. It's, it's not something you want to do. Amen. And listen to me. If that's you on Friday night, just get right with God. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. Go to the book of Habakkuk. Oh, go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah 48. Look at verse number 26. Jeremiah 48, verse 26. You can keep your karaoke. I'll just sing the praises of God in church. (laughs) Jeremiah 48. You can keep your casinos. Jeremiah 48, verse number 26. Notice what the Bible says. Make ye him drunken. For he magnified himself against the Lord. Moab also shall swallow in his vomit, and he also shall be in derision. God is saying, I'm about to destroy this guy. Let him get drunk. Let him wallow in his vomit. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk. If you start at the end of the Old Testament and move backwards, you got the book of Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. Okay? Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at verse number 15. Here's an interesting, this is an interesting passage. And young people, listen to me. I, I lost your parents a long time ago, okay? Just listen to me. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2, look at verse 15. Woe unto him. Now, I want you to make note of that word him. All right? Him is referring to male, right? Not saying her. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink. Listen, guys. You kids, especially those of you in public school, you got a bunch of sodomites all around you. You got a bunch of sodomite teachers and a bunch of sodomite friends because we live in such a wicked society. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink. When some guy, listen guys, when some guy walks up to you and says, hey, smoke this. Hey, drink this. Hey, you know, take this pill. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor to drink that putteth thy bottle to him. Notice, you got a him putting thy bottle to him. You've got a him neighbor giving drink to a him neighbor and makest him drunken also that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Did you see that? You got one guy getting another guy drunk so he can look on his nakedness. And you don't, and this is not, you know, men and women. This is sodomite. And by the way, ladies, why would you ever want to put yourself in a situation where you have no control over what's going on? Where someone can give you something to drink and then take advantage of you so that they can look upon your nakedness? You you say, well, that's not what Budweiser showed me. Well, let me show you what God showed you. Go to Genesis 19. We're almost done. Genesis 19. Some of you need this to be done. Genesis 19, look at verse number 30. It should be easy to find. First book in the Bible, Genesis 19, verse 30. Genesis 19, verse 30. Some of you need a drink. This sermon is so offensive to you. Genesis 19, look at verse 30. Genesis 19, verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis 19, verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain of his two, with, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Now, the, the context here is that God just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went off running with his two daughters, the only people he can get to follow him out. And now they're in a cave, and they're under the impression that God, they don't understand God just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. They think God destroyed the entire world. Okay, and, and the girls think that like they're the only people left on earth. Look at verse 31. And the firstborn said unto the younger... Our father is old, and there is no man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. They're saying, there's no one, you know, for us to get married to, and we're gonna, the human race is going to end right here. So they get a bright idea because they were raised in Sodom. Look at verse 32. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, 
that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. We're talking about incest here. We're talking about uh, someone being taken advantage of. And, but notice, because he drank wine, and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. He did not even know when she came and when she left. He did not even know when she lay down and when she went her way. Verse 34, And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed out of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. Why would you want? What? I don't understand. What is so fun about drinking something that causes you ladies or causes you men to get in a position where you don't even perceive when someone lays down and and takes advantage of you? What is so much fun about waking up, you know, kneel down in front of a toilet, throwing up? Can't even remember what you did last night, but you had a real great time. What what is so great about that? See, because here's what you understand. The beer ads lie. The beer, you know, commercials are not true. Here's what God says. When you drink alcohol, someone can take advantage of you. When you drink alcohol, you will commit adultery. When you drink alcohol, you will stagger. You will vomit. You will, there'll be no place clean. It'll be filthy. That's what God thinks about alcohol. Go to Deuteronomy 23. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32, verse 33. Deut- Deuteronomy 32. You're there in Genesis. Go past Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy 32, verse 33. Let me show you one last verse. We'll finish up. And for those of you that are offended, it, let, me just, let me just ask you one question. Just one question. Does it matter what the Bible says? Do you even care what the Bible says? I know you want to come to church on a Sunday morning and be able to check that off and say, I went to church and I'm right with God. But does it even matter what the Word of God says? And the sad part is, for most Christians, the answer is no. I don't really care what the Bible says. I don't care how many verses you show me. I don't care how many passages you turn to. I'm going to do whatever I want. Deuteronomy 32, look at verse 33. Notice what God says. Their wine, their wine is the poison of dragons. And the cruel venom, venom's referring to poison, of asps. Asp is a poisonous snake. You know what's funny? is in Revelation 22, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. The Bible calls Satan a dragon and a serpent. The Bible calls Satan a snake. Remember the Garden of Eden? How did, how did the devil come to Eve in the form of a what? A snake. And the Bible says, you know what? Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. See, when you take a poisonous snake... They have, they, they, the snake, you know, will bite you and it'll inflict in you poison that'll kill you. And here's what he says. Satan is a poisonous snake. Say, so what's his venom? Alcohol. He'll bite you and he'll destroy your life. Wine is a marker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Some of you were asking yourselves this question after last week's sermon. What is he going to say? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, how, what, what do I, how do I live my life differently than everybody else? And here's one great place to start, is to quit drinking alcohol. Because the Bible is very clear that God forbids drinking of alcohol for everyone. And if you don't agree with that, God definitely forbids the drinking of alcohol for Christians. And if you don't agree with that, God forbids the, the, anyone getting drunk so you ought not make provision for the flesh. 
to get there. Because the way God sees alcohol is different than the way our society sees alcohol. And by the way, some of you are like, I can't believe that he would preach this. You know there was a day in our country when every preacher stood up and preached these things? You know there was a day in our country when every man of God stood up and just screamed and yelled against alcohol? Here's the proof. You ever heard of a time in our country's uh, uh, history called the Prohibition? You know there was a time in our country when men of God stood up and preached and thundered against alcohol so much that they actually made alcohol illegal in the United States of America? Now listen, I'm not advocating that. I'm not saying that alcohol should be illegal because I don't think you can legislate morality. You know, and in the Bible, God spoke very negatively about alcohol, but he never like, made it illegal. So I- I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is this. We're not that crazy. I'm not this crazy, just madman. There was a time in our country when everyone... Every Christian, at least, would say, that stuff's for, that's not for kings. That's not for priests. Give that to them that are ready to perish. So the question I want to ask you is, are you different than the world in the sense of drinking alcohol, taking drugs, abusing prescription drugs? Or are you just like them? Maybe it's time for you to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Let's, and touch not the unclean thing. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.